Welcome to Hearts and Minds. I'm Maura Cassidy. And this week, um, we're with Maria Kilcommons in Charleville County, Cork. Maria is the mother of four children and the wife of Shane. And Maria is going to talk to us about a diagnosis of melanoma that she got nine years ago this year and talk us through how she went from a very serious diagnosis to a flourishing life. Maria, you're very welcome here this afternoon. Thank you, Maria. Thank you for joining us. So I just thought maybe to start with, just tell us a bit about yourself. I am from Charleville, County Cork. I grew up here and I went to UL uh, to do a BA in European Studies. I specialised in insurance. Uh, while in UL, I met my husband, Shane, and uh, he went off to do further studies in Wales and I went off to work in insurance companies in Dublin. And he came home and we got married and we had our first daughter down in Waterford in 1999. And then I was expecting my second. So we moved to Charleville, Shane's job changed to Cork. And I decided at that point I would go back and do a H-dip because um, I was working with a multinational and just the hours were huge. And I just really felt that I wanted to spend more time with the kids. Uh, Shane's job allowed him to do that, uh, be a bit flexible over the summer, whereas I wasn't able to do that. So I went back and I did my H-dip. And um, then I thought part-time in the local school after that, which was fantastic. We had another daughter, Jane, in 2007. And then we had our fourth daughter, Ruth, in 2011. Okay, so busy So household. it was a busy time. It was a great time. Great. And um, so you got the diagnosis then nine years ago. That's so right, Ruth that was... that must have been quite scary. It, it was horrendous. Uh, Ruth was nine months old. Um, I was back at work. Shane was working. Kids were in school. And I was preparing for Christmas, correcting exams, trying to get my Christmas shopping done. Quite stressed about, you know, trying to make sure all the ducks were in a row Christmas-wise. And uh, one evening I just had a seizure. I was actually cleaning the front steps and just felt funny. I had my daughter in my arms and handed her to my older daughter and just said, call mom. Um, I put myself on the floor because I just kind of felt dizzy. And the next thing I knew, there was an ambulance, doctors, next door neighbours, my father, uh, everyone surrounding me um, at the doorstep. So that was a shock. And obviously I was carted off to CUH and uh, they did scans to determine what actually was happening. And it transpired there was something on the brain. They weren't sure at that point what it was. Um, but it transpired after surgery that it was uh, melanoma, stage four melanoma. Wow. And I suppose for all of most of us, that's, we never considered that's ever going to happen to us. And you were a young mom with a busy household, feeling very well. Um, feeling feeling great. I, I definitely never thought this was in, in my path or in my journey. Um, and I suppose nobody ever does really. I remember having my fourth daughter and thinking, oh my goodness, I, I can't believe I have four healthy children. You know, I really thought that that was never going to be a possibility. And so I, I remember putting her christening photo on the wall and seeing the four of them and thinking, oh wow, that's amazing. Mm. And um, just terrified that anything would ever happen to them. I, I certainly didn't think it was going to happen to me. Mm. Um, so yeah, it, was, it was a huge shock, a huge shock for the entire family, for the entire town. And people were so good. Mm. Um and what what got got you through it? You know, was it obviously friends and family, or was it, you know, the, maybe the example of somebody in your life? Or initially, I was utterly shell shocked. Um, I had been breastfeeding at the time as well, so even the withdrawal of that was, you know, hugely emotional in the midst of all of this. Um, and the surgery then being so close to Christmas, I had the surgery two days 
before Christmas, I came home Christmas Eve and I was just a shell of my for- former self, you know, being released so quickly from hospital. Um, what initially got me through it was, um, I, I just remember being in the hospital in CUH and just um, seeing a statue of Our Lady and there was the Memorari prayer is beside it, still is beside it. And I just prayed the Memorari and I just said, Our Lady, you know, this is beyond me, you know. Um, and it's not like I had any great faith before that. I mean, I was very casual mass goer. Um, my, my faith really was probably good in my childhood, but certainly hadn't been since then. Uh, I didn't really know an awful lot about my faith either, but I, I knew enough to just ask for help at that point because everything was so beyond me and so out of my control. <laughs> and in terms of um, family and friends... The support there was huge, obviously, obviously as well. Hugely, uh, and particularly family at that initial stage. Um, I think with a diagnosis like that, initially you're, you're not really able to deal with a lot of people. Uh, recounting your story is difficult. Uh, so it was family were absolutely fantastic. We moved in with my parents, uh, the whole family. Um, so the kids went to school as normal. Everything ticked over as normal. Santa Claus came in my mom's house. Uh, Christmas dinner was served. You know, time just moved on in a very normal way. Um, and I was, it gave me the space and time to actually process. Um, I didn't know with a diagnosis like that, you know, when it was going to come back, where it was going to come back. Uh, would I live to see the end of the year? Would I be at any of the occasions that every mother dreams to be at? Would my daughter remember me? Um, it, it was, it was just overwhelming. And you know, people were so fantastic. I mean, I got cards from so many people, mass cards, relics, um, statues. Um, it, it was it was really amazing. Food. So many people dropped in lasagnas, uh, chicken curries. It was, you know, it, it was just amazing how good people are. And I, I suppose, you know, I mean, I, I was really searching at that point. I'd never thought of my faith um, as, a, as an active thing that I had to engage in. It was kind of something that was is, is put upon you. You go to mass and you tick the boxes and, you know, that that's fine. But I, I never thought that I would need it in the way that I, I did in those few months. And I, I was searching um, very much in those few months. And the mass cards and the relics, you know, really were kind of opening a door that I, I started questioning, you know, what's going on here? How come these people are, are are sending these? You know, what do they believe in? And the prayers were so beautiful in them as well. Um that, that that was a, a big door open opening for me. So I, I started searching. Um, initially, I started searching in more the new age realms. Um, and that kind of afforded me a, a semi-counsellor, someone to listen to me, um, maybe trying to explain reasons why this would have happened to me. Um, and, and so I, I did go down that road for a while. People were also very good. They invited me to healing masses. Um and, you know, it's not something I would ever normally have gone to. But I remember in particular, one woman was, uh, rang my mother and said, Maria should come to this mass. And I I said, oh, mom, I really don't think I'm going to go. Um, and then mom said, she's actually standing outside holding a parking space for you in the rain. I thought, oh my goodness, I have to go just, it's just to please that so kind woman. So I went and uh, I remember telling, you know, that my journey, they were very good. They kept a seat for me in the church and everything. I was like a VIP. And um, they just, you know, I explained to them what I was doing. You know, I was involved in, in New Age. And, you know, to me, it was it was pretty normal. Jesus and Mary were there. I felt that this was all probably a link on to my Catholic faith. Couldn't be wrong or couldn't be right. You know, it just, it just was. And 
they were kind of saying, mm, you know, your Catholic faith has more than enough to support you in this journey. And I was thinking, how, you know, how can going to Mass, you know, help me in, in this situation? You know, I, I need more. And they were kind of explaining to me that, you know, there, there is, there is adoration, there is, there's lots of avenues in the Catholic Church that can help you through a journey like this. So I suppose that really led me home um, to my husband and I was kind of very upset actually after that. So they were very brave telling me that because as far as I was concerned, like that new age realm had my counsellor, it had my support, it had my meditation, it had, you know, all the, the tools that I was beginning to put in place to try and process um, and, you know, I, I said it to my husband and he kind of said to me, you know, I, I, I was hoping you would begin to think like this because he said, you know, I'm, I'm very happy to hear you questioning the journey you're on. And, you know, I'm delighted to hear you reconsidering, you know, your faith, you know, your baptized faith. So I thought, okay, I was very, very confused, very upset. And I thought, you know what, the relics of St. Teresa of Lisieux were doing the tour of the country at that point. And I thought, I will go. My father had, and still has, a great devotion to uh, St. Trace of Lisieux. Um, so I thought, you know what, I'll, I'll ask her because, you know, she's been obviously lauded um, throughout the world for her piety and uh, beauty. And I'll just ask her. And um, so I did. I just visited the relics. I went to the friend of mine who, uh, again, wouldn't be very religious, but was kind enough to escort me on my journey. And I just left it with St. Trace. I said, St. Trace, I will give up you know, all the crutches I have at the moment, if this is the right path to take. But I, you know, I kind of made a deal with her. I said, St. Therese, you have to absolutely help me because I need, you know, some sort of help, you know, in human form, counselling. I need, you know, the meditations that I will now be missing. I will, you know, need those kind of links to keep me, you know, functioning. And can I ask Maria, um, why, if it seemed to be working for you, did you decide to you know, start out, and, uh, out again on the path to the Catholic faith. You know, what, what, um, what, you know. I suppose, you see, it, it was helping me as I saw it. Um, but the reality was it wasn't helping my family. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it was a journey that I was going down on my own. And I suppose a lot of it kind of led me to lead, to look inside myself. What was wrong with me that I got cancer? You know, was it some hurt in me from years gone by? Or And these were the kind of paths that it was leading me down, which is, you know, was all about me, me, me. And it didn't let me look outwards or didn't kind of encourage me looking outwards, you know, to my kids, to my husband, to the people around me. Um, and, and somehow as well, I felt that it was my fault in a, in a sense. I know that sounds very strange to say that cancer is your fault. Um, but I, I kind of felt that the reason that I got cancer was something wrong in me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, be it at whatever level, spiritual, emotional. Um, so it, it wasn't helping me accept. It was, you know, it was leading me to search, but I think in the wrong direction. Okay. You know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so I, it was great then that, I, you know, as it turned out, that I could find another path. And that path, I suppose, increased my ability to look at other people um, 
around me, um, which helped the whole family, not mm-hmm. just me. So did did St. Therese follow through on her St. Therese was great. <laughs> she, um, I kind of lived with her and I kind of forgot a little bit about her, you know, after that. And But we got an au pair because, you know, I needed to move back into my house and uh, we got an au pair to help us with that. And she was a lovely girl from Spain um, who was brave enough to come into, you know, kind of a crazy situation. Um, and she was very religious, you know, she went to Mass every day and that was kind of curious to me that, you know, somebody her age would go to Mass every day. And, you know, the way she spoke about God was beautiful. And I could see, you know, something in her, in her upbringing, in her belief, something very beautiful. So, you know, I I was kind of looking at that going, "Mm, maybe there's more to the Catholic Church than just, you know, the austerity that sometimes you you see. Um, And then I began to look at adoration. Um, so I would sit in, in the, the stillness of the Adoration Chapel in Charleville and I would cry a lot of tears. But somehow at the end of it, you know, it would usually take about a half an hour, but I would find peace. I would find perspective and I could go out of that church happy. Um, I'm not saying the happiness would last, you know, you know, longer than 12 hours or whatever, but I definitely got glimpses of perspective and serenity, which I had not gotten up to that point. And, you know, then I would go back again. And if, you know, I missed a day, I would definitely know I'd missed a day because I would be a lot more unsteady in myself than I would be if I'd gone. So um, that was great. And Marie, can I ask you, when you go to adoration, of course, you go into an adoration chapel and Jesus is there in the monstrance on the altar. It's the presence of our Lord there in in that space that, and you're... Had, had you faith? Did you believe, you know, as Catholics, you believe that Jesus is there in the Eucharist. Did you believe that or was it, God, if you're there, you know, let me know? Or how, I, what, was your, what was your space like? Sometimes people think that to pray, you need to be, you know, totally, you know, at one with everything, you know, need to have it all worked out. Whereas from what you're saying, it seems slightly different. It was more like a journey. It was a journey. Um, I don't think I had the luxury of believing initially that God wasn't there because I really needed him and he had to be there. And I, I, I would have told him that. <laughs> I would have told him that, you know, I, I need your help. I cannot do this alone and you need to help me. And I suppose I getting that peace alone, you know, showed me that there was something there greater than myself. And, you know, that did not come from me. And I knew that. I mean, it wasn't within me. It, you know, it wasn't part of me, it wasn't of me. But, um, you know, I really felt that God is very close to people who are suffering. And I really felt he came out and met me in adoration. And do you feel it was your attitude that changed or what what had changed? Because, you know, you'd, you'd had the exposure, you might say, to Mass and to different sacraments in the church, but now you're experiencing them differently. My attitude completely changed because I suppose I had come from a perspective of, oh, I'll go to Mass and, oh, aren't I a good girl? That's great. Um, but I, I never really got anything from Mass except maybe a self-accolade where I would feel I'd done something good. That's, you know, but I, I suppose the old adage of seek and you will find. And I suppose at that point with my diagnosis, I was seeking, I was asking, I was looking. And I desperately wanted to find um, God because I knew I couldn't do this on my own. And, um, you know, I really needed him. So, you know, I, I was very strongly looking at that point. And, I, you know, I did find. So... Um, you know, he's, he's true to his word in that sense because, you know, that that's how it turned out for me. And did your family, your kids and, and your husband Shane, did they notice a difference, a change? Or was this a very private thing that... 
Uh, every, everyone noticed the change because I suppose we were all involved in it together. You know, um, the rosary came into the family. We did a 54-day rosary for me. Everyone was praying. The kids needed to pray too. Um, it, it wasn't just me. I mean, all of us were struggling. All of us were suffering. All of us were terrorised. And so prayer gave us all a huge comfort. It's something that we did together. Um, and as I became more educated and knowledgeable, you know, on things like the Bible, um, confession, a mass, I, you know, I was able to bring them on that journey and explain bits about them to them as well. So um, the whole family, I suppose, got great comfort from that, See. from our faith. <laughs> and so, so you had your au pair, you were back in the house. How many, like you had your initial surgery and then was it just calm and going for scans or what happened over that period of time? I had my initial surgery on the 19th of December. No, sorry, the 23rd of December. And then I, everything was kind of calm after that. It was scans, review um, for a year and a half. And, you know, I was getting my confidence back bit by bit. Uh, again, I didn't know the day or the hour. And so many people live in that situation with cancer where they just don't know if, you know, if this is coming back or mostly when this is coming back. So we were after a holiday in Ireland. I wasn't brave enough to travel abroad at that stage. Shane certainly wasn't brave enough to travel with me abroad. So... Uh, we brought the kids down to Kerry and we did a lovely week and playing tennis. And, you know, so I was really kind of coming into my own. And I was going for scans again that August. And, you know, I remember my dad saying to me at the door, he said, well, there's nothing going to be in those scans anyway, because you look so great. And there was something in those scans. So, you know, sometimes with cancer, you don't realize you're feeling great. And that not doesn't necessarily mean a clear scan. So again, that was back to reeling another brain surgery. Um, really didn't want to face this again. Um, but this time I was a bit stronger. Um, and, you know, I, I had been with, um, I suppose, tracking back a little bit, the the first au pair I had led to the second au pair I had. Um, and the second au pair I had was a supernumerian opus day. And... You know, and for again, those supposing listening, a supernumerary is, is effectively some married member of Opus Dei. Or... Yes, yes. You know, she's now married. She has two kids um, in Madrid. And I, you know, I, again, I looked at her and I went along to some of the Opus Dei events with her. And that was a huge source of strength to me as well, because then, you know, I was meeting with somebody. So that, in effect, was my counsellor. Um um, and, you know, able to talk to somebody about all the things that were happening into my life and get spiritual guidance, get formation, uh, put me on a very good track, you know, not just in terms of my spirituality, but also in terms of my personal life and how I could, you know, marry both so that I wasn't living two different lives, one in the church and one at home, that it was both. And um, that was that was a huge help to me to have that kind of support and structure. Um, so, you know, that, that, that was a, a big advantage, I suppose, really. Um, and I'm trying to think back of the question you asked. I was just, I suppose, the thing of um, once you got the, the, you obviously had a number of other surgeries. Um, and I suppose it leads to my next question, really. Listening to you, Maria, you know, um, you, you sound like a very upbeat kind of person. You know, it, it, you're not, don't sound like somebody to me who's always living with the reality that, you know, maybe that scan, the next scan won't be the won't be a good scan or whatever. And just living with that sense of insecurity about 
and we all live with this insecurity of not knowing how long our life's going to be, but you in a particular way have had to face that. And just, you're very positive, at least you come across extremely upbeat. And were you always upbeat? Or um, I certainly wouldn't consider myself upbeat. I think most people who know me probably would consider me a glass half empty type of person. But I suppose I, um, I, I got through, you know, actually, you know, that, that second surgery very well. Um, and then the month later, I went for a scan again, and there was another problem on the next scan. So they did radiation, and then by Christmas, I was into my third brain surgery. So you know that that was that was very trying. It was a very trying couple of months. Um, but somehow we were all okay. You know, uh, in the midst of the absolute terror and heartbreak of it, we were all okay. We were all doing the things that people normally do, and we were praying. And but this time we had faith. You know, I wasn't the shell of a person I was back in December 2011. I had a faith. I had a place I could go to ask God to help me, to hold my hand, to carry me through this. And somehow we did, you know. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I suppose that reading, I suppose, you know, that you will walk through the valley of darkness or the sand, you know, evil shall you fear. And that's really how I felt my journey was because I couldn't understand it. I couldn't understand the why or the where or what was happening or what would be the outcome of any of this. But somehow I just believed that it would be okay. And I'm not saying okay as in God will cure me and that everything will just be as I see it, but okay as in in the sense that, in a sense maybe that I can't even explain, but in mm-hmm. the sense that it will be okay. And in terms of, say, your perspective, you know, a lot of people say when they go through life or death situations or challenging personal situations that, there's a real change in perspective, you know, and you've, I suppose, described it a little there. How, how, how more did you, did you notice how that perspective changed in other ways? I, I would say initially, definitely, you do appreciate living. And I, I would say that to this day, I mean, I, I take nothing for granted. Um, and I, I adore the time I have with my kids and my husband and my family and, you know, all that that affords me. I, I, you know, I, I love all the small things. Um, and appreciate them massively. Um, so I suppose that that is a new perspective on life. But also, I suppose I, um, I, I suppose I trust in God to kind of carry me through, mm-hmm. which He does. Um, and that has been, I suppose, the overriding thing, you know. And can I ask, um, do you ever do you ever think of like heaven? Do you or and, and what does it look like if you do? Um. I think heaven is a place of huge beauty. And um, I suppose what I, I, I was, uh, an article I was reading in the paper recently and a father was talking about his son's hair and he was saying that, you know, his small son, and I suppose most of us can relate to this because if you've had small children or if you've been in contact with small children, their beauty is is breathtaking sometimes. Uh, their innocence is just overwhelming. And you know, sometimes when you look at a small child, you're just in, in contemplation of their beauty. And I suppose that's how I see heaven in that moment. Beautiful. That's lovely. Very nice. Very inspiring, Maria. Um, and Maria, if there was something you wanted to say to people listening, you know, our, our listeners, um, what do you wish somebody had said to you, you know, when you got that diagnosis? And wasn't said, and you think you'd say to somebody if they were getting a diagnosis like yours? I think initially when you get a diagnosis like that, um, many people are trying to fix it, you know, eat this, you know, do this exercise, um, 
you know, pray this way or that way. Um, and I, I think what I would say to somebody is, yes, you know, I would have to recommend, you know, praying, but not everyone, I suppose, prays. Um, so you have to understand that too. So I, I suppose what I would say to them is, it's okay. You know, you will be okay. You have to travel this journey. It's a journey. There's, you know, initially you're fighting it. You don't want it to be true. You're kind of thinking, I'm going to, you know, manage somehow to not have this happen. But you can't. So you, it's a journey of acceptance. And um, I found that through prayer. You know, the point where you can accept that this is part of my life. Um, it doesn't have to limit my life. It can enhance my life actually in many ways because um, you're living in, in a new way, in a new light. Um, so I, I, I think it's given our family huge advantages. Um, obviously, none of us would choose it. And if we could, you know, find a magic wand or a cure in the morning, I'd be first in line. But the many things that has taught me and the people around me are not lost to me either. And I think in that sense, I think people need to see also the positives mm-hmm. in a journey like this. Mm-hmm. And that's so true, I suppose. It's, and it's a big concern for any mums listening, because oftentimes, as you said at the beginning, their first concern is their kids, their family, their husband. And at the same time, as you say, what you noticed was that precisely it was a journey that all of you did together and you all grew through it. Absolutely. Um, you know, I suppose when you're first diagnosed as a mother, you're, you are thinking about your kids and um, you're thinking how your husband will cope. And, you know, you're thinking of all those occasions that you're not going to be at uh, or you may not be at. And I think letting go, I, I think, is 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 part of the answer. You know, let go and let God, that idea, you know, just uh, because it is out of your control. And um, I suppose the reality of my situation is that, you know, I have seen my baby she had her first total communion in September, which I suppose is one of those big milestones we all have in our heads. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I have three now in secondary school. I have only one in primary school. Sorry, Kate is in college. So, you know, they, they're moving along and time is passing by and I'm still here and I'm massively grateful for that. Um, and I think we also, have, as mothers, have to believe in the resilience of our kids because they are absolutely uh, fantastic. And I remember talking to uh, a friend of mine about this and, you know, about the kids and how will they be? And, you know, and she said to me, actually, it was quite funny. She said, never underestimate the selfishness of teenagers. <laughs> you know, we think we're so, so important. But the reality is, you know, kids are great at accepting these things. They're great at, um, you know, muddling their way through them. And, um, you know, so what I, w- I would say to mothers is really, you know, keep living you know, live every day because you, you, nobody knows the answer. Nobody knows who's going to, you know, uh, uh, die first. You know, none of us have that knowledge. And so you have to live every day like you're going to die tomorrow. And, you know, try and not live your way, your life in a sad way. Always live in a happy way so that, you know, you're living each day to the fullest. Super. Listen, thanks, Maria, for that. That was absolutely super. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. Um, today. Um, we'll have some resources uh, connected to Maria's topic today um, at the bottom of the podcast if you want to click into them. Um, and again, as always, all of you listening, if you have any suggestions or thoughts on topics that you would like us to cover, do, do, do get in touch with us. And thank you, Maria. Thank you. Thank you.